Welcome to Biblical Foundations, a podcast of the Center for Biblical Studies at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. I'm your co-host, Jimmy Rowe, along with Dr. Andreas Kostenberger. Join us as we discuss issues in biblical scholarship for the church. Thank you for joining us today at Biblical Foundations. Here with me is Dr. Andreas Kostenberger. Today, our guest is Dr. Dan Gertner. Dr. Gertner is professor of New Testament at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. He's the author or editor of several books, including the recently published TNT Clark Encyclopedia of Second Temple Judaism, co-edited with Lauren Stuckenbrook. Dr. Gartner, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you. Yes, Dan. Thank you very much for taking the time to join us here in the Biblical Foundations podcast. I, I was thinking before we talk about your more recent work, why don't you tell our listeners a bit about yourself and your background, and including where you got your theological training, who your mentors were, and what you wrote your dissertation on? Oh, sure. Yeah, um, I actually was. Uh, I wasn't gr- didn't grow up in a Christian home. I was saved at a Christian college, uh, which is kind of a long story. But I never mm-hmm. opened the Bible until I was in a classroom at a at Grove City College in Pennsylvania. So I was mm-hmm. discipled in the classroom. So for me. Studying the Bible and my walk with Christ has always been one one thing. So uh, from Grove City, I went to Gordon-Conwell Seminary um, and got my MDiv. I pastored for two years after that. Uh, did a one-year THM at uh, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School and then went to uh, University of St. Andrews in Scotland, where I did my PhD with Richard Bauckham on the tearing of the veil in Matthew 27. And so that was sort of my uh, entry point into Second Temple Judaism. Uh, from there, I spent a year at Tyndale House as a, a visiting research scholar and uh, had taught at Bethel Seminary in Minnesota for 11 years prior to coming to uh, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary just a couple years ago. As we mentioned at the opening, you've recently quoted a major publication, the two-volume Encyclopedia of Second Temple Judaism. Um, before we ask you specifically about this work, uh, we just want to take a moment to discuss the relevance of Second Temple Judaism for Old and New Testament studies. Uh, what is the utility of these writings, and also, are there any cautions we should register? Sure. Yeah, this is always a great question to ask, because especially as evangelicals, and especially as, as evangelical Southern Baptists who believe in the sufficiency of Scripture— the question needs to arise and should arise. What, why do we need to read these extra works? What is the merit for studying these, for understanding the scripture? Um, part of what comes to my mind is, as um, allegedly um, Martin Hengel used to say, that if all you know is the Bible, then you really don't know the Bible. And I think that could be pushed too far, but, but the notion certainly makes sense. There's a, there's a presumption in the New Testament that the readers are familiar with certain things. So, for example, uh, John chapter 2, uh, John makes reference to the kind of stone jars that were used for ritual purification by the Jews. Well, what Jews and what's ritual purification and why do they use stone jars? Uh, there's a reference to Mary's purification in Luke chapter 2, and to, where she needs two young pigeons and a, or a pair of turtle doves. Well, where does she get that? There's often a presumption in the New Testament that uh, the readers are familiar with things. Uh, And so the study of Second Temple Judaism, certainly in the New Testament, but also in the Old, uh, fills in a lot of gaps. Um, The the way I like to think of it is if you can imagine you're going to a live play, maybe to a performance of Shakespeare or something, 
and you see two actors on the stage and they're they're engaging in dialogue and they're they're acting out a scene um and you see that scene and you understand the dialogue and you understand the nature of the communication but if there are floodlights that are thrown on on the stage and you get to see trees and bushes and buildings and tables and chairs and other people, that helps you to understand the context of the scene better. Uh, that's how I think of these uh, of Second Temple Judaism with respect to New Testament. It doesn't change the text. Uh, it doesn't make the text say something that the text plainly doesn't say, but it gives you a context in which to better understand the text. Uh, again, Peter's Confession, Mark chapter 8. Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, and Jesus describes his suffering and death. And, and why does that get Peter upset? There, there's some presumption that, that Mark seems to presume that his readers know something about, uh, about messianic expectations among uh, Jewish, the earliest Jewish followers of Jesus that help us to understand uh, some of what's going on there. Again, it doesn't change the text, but it, it should, sheds light on the text that might otherwise be missing. Um, in terms of the old, there's quite a bit more, of course, that we could say about that. In terms of the Old Testament, I think it's important to recognize not only that much of the text that we study in the Old Testament was was transmitted through the hands of these com of Jewish communities during the Second Temple period, but it was preserved in, in some in some instances, as when with the Isaiah Scroll from Qumran. It provides the earliest attestation, the primary source attestation, manuscript attestation to some of these books by almost a millennium. And uh, that, that's a considerable contribution. But it's also important to recognize that these books were used, even books from the Old Testament, from the Hebrew Bible, were used by these communities. They were preserved by them. They were used by them. Uh, they were part of their life and, and lifestyle as, as Jews. In, in some instances, awaiting the coming of the Messiah. The, the question pertaining the, the concern uh, or, or caution or limitations is really one of, I think, common sense. And that is, it, it could be easy to assume um, that if a, a, a Jewish text says something about, let's just say, ritual washing, um, that that must be what John is referring to in John chapter 2. Or if a Jewish text says something about the synagogue, then that must be what the gospel author is referring to in Luke chapter 4. In other words, we have to use caution about allowing uh, background text, Second Temple text, to, to cause the words on the New of the New Testament to say something other than what they plainly say. That's where we can, I think, really come into misunderstanding. But again, I think that's largely a function of simply common sense. Yeah, you know, as someone like you, I'm sure, who's taught classes on not just New Testament, but even on ancient Jewish literature, I think, uh, you know, those of us with a high view of Scripture have to realize that in some ways the the use, the legitimate use of, of, of Second Temple writings has sometimes been given a bad name by by people who, like E.P. Sanders uh, in his Paul and Palestinian Judaism, who uh, have a more skeptical view towards the reliability of the New Testament writings. Uh, or in other cases, maybe people are just, especially young, some younger scholars, are very enamored uh, 
with Second Temple literature because it's maybe not as well known, and and, and so maybe even they're well intentioned, but 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 still their appreciation for those writings might lead them to maybe overplay their significance. Uh, or in other cases, people will just kind of intermingle references to Second Temple literature with parallel references to uh, maybe other places in the New Testament or the Gospels. And again, the impression there could be given that they're in the same level. And of course, I think those of us with a high view of Scripture would have to you know, hasten to, to point out that, well, we don't look at their authority um, uh, for Christians as as being on par with one another. So I'm even thinking of people like uh, N.T. Wright, who's been recently critiqued, as sure you realize, by people like Tom Holland and others, that they're too, um, you know, fond of, of Second Temple literature. And as a result, maybe uh, in their theological work, it, it maybe short shrifts uh, New Testament in some ways or People like Craig Evans would be another example who uh, certainly has a profound appreciation for Second Temple writings and, and uh, you know, sometimes maybe might arrive at conclusions that, that privileges those over against the New Testament. So I'm giving some specifics just to point out that uh, I think uh, sometimes the role models that, that students have would be by people who... Uh, appreciate Second Temple writings, but maybe whose view of Scripture doesn't, you know, match our own. Sure. Right. And I think the, the, the thing that comes to my mind when you say that is that w- when we read something in, in some of these Second Temple Jewish texts, we, we want to read them in their own context. I mean, we want people to do that with the New Testament. So we don't want to simply pull ideas out of context from First Enoch or from uh you know, fourth Ezra or something like that, and and assume that it's talking about the same thing. And at the same time, we don't want to um, overplay the significance of, let's just say, um, talk about the son of David. That's something that I'm thinking about recently. Son of David, which of course is all over the Gospel of Matthew. And if you read from the Psalms of Solomon, Psalms of Solomon is, is a pseudepigraphic work from the second century B.C., which talks about the son of David being a violent kingly Messiah who is going to uh, kick out the unrighteous rulers and establish God's justice in the land. But if, if we assume that the son of David means that when we, when we look at the Gospel of Matthew, um, we inevitably misread Matthew. And, and if we assume that the, the um, author of the Psalms of Solomon thinks in terms of the, the the way we understand the son of David in the New Testament, we misunderstand the Psalms of Solomon. So there's a there, all we're really getting from the Psalms of Solomon in Psalms of Solomon 17 is is and, and this is sort of the main point that there were some Jews that believed that the son of David would be a violent kingly Messiah who would um, cast out unrighteous rulers. No more and no less than that. And in that respect, it helps us to look at sharp contrast. Uh, comparison and contrast with with the presentation in the New Testament. So my point is to say it doesn't have to eclipse our understanding. Mm-hmm. If we can understand these texts in their own context and understand the limitations of what such background kind of material can give us. I agree. I remember when I went to seminary uh, years ago uh, that, uh, you know, the conservative school, I was basically told that 
the years between Malachi and Matthew were the 400 silent years. And I think certainly your uh, two-volume encyclopedia proves that uh, those 400 years were anything but silent. Uh, so, right. and, and, and certainly if some of those cautions are in place. I think uh, it, it gives us that necessary background that opening the, the pages of the New Testament, Matthew and the other Gospels, certainly you're in a very different world than at the end of of uh, the Old Testament. Uh, I also, you know, your reference to Martin Hengel earlier um, just uh, reminded me of, of an address that he gave when he was the I think the president of the Society of New Testament Studies, uh, just remember the, I think it was um, originally given in German, it's called Aufgaben der Neutestamentlichen Wissenschaft. Uh, so roughly, you know, tasks of, of New Testament uh, scholarship. And there he pointed out that the New Testament is such a, a small corpus, relatively speaking, that that as New Testament scholars, we really don't have any excuse Uh <laughs> Uh, and, right. <laughs> you know, it's essential for us to know the background and the con contemporary writings. You think of if somebody's an English professor, the amount of literature they have to be conversant with. And so, uh, you know, we certainly ought to be willing to expand our horizons. Thank you for joining us today at Biblical Foundations. For more information, please visit the Center for Biblical Studies at Midwestern at cbs.mbts.edu. For further resources, please also visit biblicalfoundations.org. Please join us again next time at the Biblical Foundations podcast.